listening to this. You are the resistance. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome to the now playing Terminator retrospective series. What is your mission? It is Judgment Day for the Terminator films as we hear it now playing, watch and review all four films in the Terminator franchise in anticipation of McGee's new movie, Terminator Salvation, opening in theaters May 21st. You can't do that. Wrong. These conversations will be spoiler-filled critiques of the Terminator films, and as the films are R-rated, there may be some mild coarse language as well. Win or lose, this war ends we're here to talk about Terminator 2, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, Edward Furlong, and Robert Patrick, directed by James Cameron. I'm Arnie. I'm Marjorie. Stuart. I am back. And Terminator 2, at its time, the most expensive movie ever made. Stuart, I remember you and I talking back in the day about how this movie will never make its money back because it costs <laughs> so much to make that it would have to make so much more because of the theaters getting their cut. This is around the time when I first started looking at the business side of movies and reading Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. And you and I opined that this would be the end of James Cameron's career. It costs more than $100 million, Arnie. There's no... <laughs> Hey, they can do that. There's no way. And that was unheard of at the time. It would have had to have been one of the top grossing movies of all time to make that <laughs> money back. Or it could just be really great and uh, pay residuals forever on uh, pay cable and uh, DVD sales. And don't forget the action figures. Mm. That's funny because one of my memories of this movie, because I saw it repeatedly in theaters, was walking out with my friend and running into a friend of my mom's. And the wife was complaining that they spent so much on that movie and they could have put that money towards education or the arts. And (laughs) instead, they made this silly action movie. Technically, it is the art. Yeah. I mean, I like the arts and all of that. But would you rather see a $100 million ballet or would you rather? see this I, I think the hundred pro- million dollar ballet might be like a kiss are, show are there, there explosions <laughs> i think there would be an explosions with are every they gonna kill some ballerinas because that might be kind of fun yeah if there's an element of threat at the ballet maybe i would go <laughs> well it may not be cultural to her standards but it is a great film oh my god i, I think it changed the landscape of films it did and cameron is known for that and and just to give a shout out to him he's known for two things in this town a making movies that payback forever you know historically just solid memorable great films and two destroying the reputations of the special effects companies that he works with because although people look at these special effects and and the money spent and all that and go wow he really did something here typically when you look at what they do after he leaves them uh they go broke (laughs) well this was industrial lights and magic they did not go broke oh it's ilm well digital domain i thought it was digital domain Another thing uh, is that even though ILM may get the poster credit, usually every effects house in town works on a movie this big. I mean, that's that's just the thing. It's, they have to farm it out to others. So someone ends up doing, you know, Arnold's Eye, and someone else does the liquid metal effects and this and that. But Digital Domain was his special effects house for a while, and he did use them, I think, for This Andrew Lies. And then when he left them, their next film without him was The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, a little less impressive in the effects. 
So here we have what could be seen as a ironic reversal as now two Terminators have been sent back in time not to kill Sarah Connor, but to kill young John Connor. And while this movie came out in 91, John Connor is, it's said that he's 10 in this movie. So I would put this in 1994. And then it's said in Terminator 3 that he was 13 in this movie, which puts this in 1997. Yeah, it's uh, the timeline's all screwed up. I mean, it, yeah, he doesn't look like a 10 year old, Edward Furlong. First no, not at and, all. And it's in the third one, they mentioned that he's in junior high, which when you're 10, no matter how smart you are, you're not in junior high. No. no. And actually, but, during this movie, Edward Furlong's voice changed and they had to redub a lot of his lines because he had the whole Peter Brady crackle going on. <laughs> uh, that said, I'm glad with they, they went with someone this age and maybe not like a Macaulay Culkin first home alone, you know, to have it actually be a child child. I don't know. You certainly couldn't have had him be as independent. You know, you wouldn't believe him cracking open ATMs or riding around on a moped. Very true. And yeah, I buy it more as him being young teens. And I think Edward Furlong was 13 when this was filmed. It works more for that age range than if they'd done, say, an episode one type of thing with little Anakin Skywalker yeah. being little John Connor. That wouldn't have worked as well. No. What I really love about many things about this movie is how plausible uh, where these characters are in the first half hour that we find them. That everything that where we left off in part one, it really makes sense that they've ended up where they are. That Hamilton went down to Nicaragua, uh, got, became this ultra-militant woman, and then tried to blow up the machine companies and was incarcerated uh, in, in mental ward, really. Totally makes sense that her son would reject her and uh, just be a brat in a foster home and have no respect for authority and feel awkward about being a kid who knew things that his classmates did not. All of this makes perfect sense to me. And typically in a sequel, there isn't usually a, a big enough gap between the first and the second one to feel that there's a difference. And if there is, uh, you're usually remarking more on the physical changes of them and not so much on their character development. And I think they did a fabulous job in this movie of introducing each character because you didn't know which Terminator was bad or good. You assumed Arnold was the bad one up until the arcade scene. Right. And I, and I think that the way they introduced Linda Hamilton in this movie with her new fantastically beautiful body was amazing. I mean, she's such a badass in this movie, and I think they did a fabulous job of portraying that, introducing that. She may be buff. I actually thought she was more beautiful in the last one because I'm not the kind of guy who reads those hard body muscle Okay, but she's not a beautiful magazines. woman per se, I think. She's a funky jaw. And nose. And nose. <laughs> but I think that they made her buff, but not masculine. What's surprising is how well she acted in this because her role prior to this was Beauty and the Beast on CBS. I never saw that show. I mean, her career had gone down really bad. Yeah, she was kind of like forgotten when this movie came out. She was, that was over. And I think that was big with the middle-aged Catwoman crowd. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think that everyone had forgotten about Linda Hamilton. And here she comes, boom, as this badass chick. She won the MTV Award for uh, Most Desirable Female that year. Wow. Yeah, I mean, when she Against was... Against Alicia Silverstone? <laughs> when she was priming that 12-gauge shotgun with one hand, that was a real 12-gauge shotgun, and there's guys that can't do that. That's how right. strong she was. Hey, no doubt she could kick my ass. Oh, yeah, over and yes. over. 
It's really impressive to see her in this role, and it completes something. I mean, I, I always, when I see Cameron movies, I'm like, I want to know about his mother, because there's something <laughs> about his women that they're always soft and vulnerable at first, and in the end, Sigourney Weaver straps on the crane and throws the queen alien out the airlock, or, you know, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in the Abyss literally comes back from the dead. I mean, there's something that they, he just sees these incredible uh, strength in women, and that's very rare in an action movie that so much credibility is given to women. We can go further with this. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies, mousy fool, didn't know what Arnold was doing, and by the end, she's pointing guns. A little bit more of a comedic take on it, but still the thing. And even Kate Winslet in Titanic, at some point, she's swinging axes and battling her way out of the sinking ship. I mean, he always finds a way to turn soft women hard in a way that I think is uh, flattering. And, And I do think Cameron deserves some credit for Laura Croft and any kind of female action star we've seen since then, that he was really the one pioneering the idea that they can be just as impressive as Arnold and Willis and 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 all these other action 80s male heroes. There is one thing that annoyed me about Linda Hamilton throughout the movie, because I thought she did a really good job. She had no transformation in the movie, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Her only thing is saving John. That, and she does not change throughout the movie. Her character doesn't change. But that little hop she does just before she runs annoyed the crap out of me. Oh, I love that. I thought it was so endearing. It was so oh. endearing. It was so strange. It's, yeah, yeah it's, she, I don't it's get like it. It's like she's skipping almost. Yeah. What are you guys talking about? She always does a little hop before she starts running, like in the mental hospital when she, yes. after she kills the guard with the broomstick. Uh-huh. One that licked well, she doesn't her. kill him. Well, yeah, the yeah. one that licked her. Yeah. She does this little hop. And then again, she does a little hop when they start to run. She does mm-hmm. this little. Did not notice. It's like a little one foot kind of skip. Yes. Uh, it makes me laugh. I enjoyed it. Oh, see, I enjoyed I just, it. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? What is she doing? I don't do that before I run. <laughs> no, she's having fun. It's almost like, ha, 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 I got away. I don't know. There's something uh, Briar Rabbit about it. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, it's a funny little trait, and it's the kind of thing that an actor can do that's very subtle, that you may not notice the first, the second, the third time you see it, but when you catch it, you're just like, oh, that's that's very funny. I thought what you were going to say you didn't like about Linda Hamilton. What I didn't like about Linda Hamilton. It's not her fault. They gave her way too many freaking voiceovers starting at the second half of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know what? In the first half of the movie, you have like one voiceover at the beginning. At the very beginning. But then you have nothing, which Mm -hmm. she wasn't in the movie for a good portion of it. Just like little bits of it. Mm -hmm. But it's like all of a sudden they're like, oh crap, we forgot to start the narration. Go, start now. Mm -hmm. Just go. It was just so over the top. And I mean, it must be hard to deliver those lines. I don't think I could do it any better. But it just, it, it seems unnecessary. It's like, I see him playing and I realize he'll never leave him he'll this is the kind of stuff you could do through dialogue you don't need the overpowering narration yeah what i found interesting is how this movie seems to be in certain ways a retelling of the first one because you've got two people sent back in time it's said in a linda hamilton voiceover at the very beginning all of a sudden there were two terminators sent back even though in the first one it was clearly said <laughs> there was one terminator and then the machine went boom but now there yeah. were two terminators sent back quick little uh ooh-ooh. and then now it seems like we're just going to have the same movie again only now it's robot versus robot and damn isn't the robert patrick robot cool oh he's awesome yeah i want to give props to robert patrick because i don't think anyone does that too often these days (laughs) no that's funny because i have that written down because i thought he was phenomenal in this role and his body acting and his expressions absolutely because he had very few speaking lines and the ones he did were spot on for the scene they were in and he said so much with his body and his face i thought he deserved credit too so i thought he did a fantastic job because he was scary he was 
was. I mean, some of that is just his physical face because he's one of those guys that, like, you look at him like, you're almost handsome, but <laughs> then something went wrong. Like, the ears jut out and the forehead's a little big. And, and there's hair. something about the hair. The yeah, that hair. Because yeah. he did not age well and he was in mm. Walk Sopranos. the Line. Oh, yeah, he's in Sopranos, but he was in Johnny Cash's father and Walk the Line. I'm oh. like, that's the same guy? Oh, yeah, and X-Files, don't forget, he replaced oh, yeah. David Duchovny. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. He's on that, like, verge of handsomeness, but there's just a few things you're just like, eh. It goes sour, and if there's something reptilian almost about him. So it's he's the perfect foil for Arnold because you're not going to get bigger than Arnold. You're no. not going to find – I mean, it would be pointless to watch two muscle-bound guys go at each other. They win a different tech. He's wiry. He's fit, but he's wiry. He's reptilian, and that run, yeah. that run is awesome. Just though there's something comic and, and cool <laughs> about that run. I honestly wonder if they examined what is efficient running because, you know, the military and things, they show you how to use economy of movement so that you're putting all of your energy into distance running. I don't know enough about it to know if that was supposed to be just a robot run that somebody made up or if it's truly an efficient run, but it was amusing. No, I did Mm. read that he had a limp from an old injury and that's why he ran kind of funny. And when they did the special effects with uh, the liquid silver, they had to kind of take that into effect because he does have a limp and that's real. He's the T-1000 and Arnold was the T-101. I have a little bit of a problem with him being the T-1000 because he's developed by computers. 1000 is what a human would call something. The computer would call him like T-1024 wait a second, maybe that's what the humans call it. I think that was the designation given by the computer. Unless it was binary and he was actually the T-8. <laughs> he brought up binary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I translated 1000 to 8. So yeah. yeah. I guess I've lost all cred this podcast. Yeah. Dork. What's funny about this movie is for 1991, the effects were just groundbreaking. They still hold up. And they hold up today when he's converting his arm and things. There's a few shots that look a little too post-processed, like when he walks through the bars. But by and large, every effect in this movie holds up. When he's coming down through the hole in the elevator shaft at the top of the elevator and it's that big ball of goo, it works. These were based on abyss effects, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm where they had the tendrils of water. Yeah, the water tentacle was the prototype for the liquid metal and morphing and uh, and all of that. I mean, Cameron is such a pioneer that, say what you will about The Abyss, it's sort of a silly movie and it got plot threads all over the place. You'll you'll trip on them as you walk through it. <laughs> but it really was a warm-up for this, and I'm not sure he could have pulled Terminator 2 off without having figured out that water tentacle. And I'm not sure what the movie would have been if they didn't have the technology. I mean, can we imagine Imagine what the T-1000 could do if he wasn't liquid metal. It wouldn't well, be the yeah. same thing. He needs to do something different because you can't have two of the same fighting each other because that's mm-hmm. just not fun. It would have been, been a different script. <laughs> I love how he is this newer, faster, better, more mm-hmm. technology model. And I thought the liquid silver, the mercury effect was really cool. And I love the fact that if he touched a person, he could become that person. Or if he touched something, he could morph into them. And mm-hmm. it, they did a really interesting, cool thing, I thought, with the use of twins in this movie because they used this feature that the Terminator had and Linda Hamilton's twin is in it which I didn't even know she had a twin what yeah, yeah at, at the, the end, end that's her twin sister oh. when there's two that's why it looks good and the, sec- oh, the you're security right. guard getting the coffee 
They're twins. I've seen those twins in other stuff, so I knew that when I first saw the movie back in 91, but yeah. But that's why it doesn't like the full house to Uncle Jesse kind of thing, you know. Now that is really something I had no idea about. I just assumed that Cameron had done the split screen better than anybody else. No, it's twins. Sorry, I didn't mean to destroy it. <laughs> well, you you know what, but at least I saw the movie before you said that. Yeah. I, I, that would have been distracting if I had been watching it, but yeah, wow. It, it's seamless. It's awesome. But yeah. while we're talking about him being able to change into other people, it does open perhaps the biggest plot hole of this whole movie when they're at the end in the factory and he's got Linda Hamilton pinned to a wall with one big metal spike of a finger. That gives me at the willies. And too. then he comes out with the other metal spike and says, call to John. What, why doesn't he just kill Linda Hamilton, become Linda Hamilton and call to John himself? And indeed he does do that later without, yeah. you know, dra- without killing her. You know what? I remember at the time feeling that way, but by that point, that movie has rewarded you so much <laughs> that you're willing to give it that. Yeah, it, it, that was the one place. Again, I talked about Terminator 1 having such a tight screenplay. Terminator 2 is almost as tight, except all of a sudden now there's more Terminators coming back and there's that. Well, he had to touch her in order to become her. And he was touching her. He so had maybe her he wall. was already doing it anyway and decided... Yeah, no. You're I not going to get it. Okay. Or maybe he assumed that John would suspect he was going to do that and he wanted John to see uh, him holding her. Like, I don't know. That could be. It doesn't I've make sense. I've never once questioned that before, but thank you now. You're welcome. I saw no plot holes in this movie, but now <laughs> thank you, I do. No, that one that one always did bug me. But, you know, how can you hold that against a movie that otherwise has, has done so well? Yes, rehabbing the original. It does feel like a remake on a very large scale, but man, they just take it in places they could never dare to go. That's what I was going to say, too, is a, a, the first, I'd say, hour of the movie, it feels just like the exact same movie you saw before. Then yes. there's that boring scene in Mexico where they're teaching the Terminator a high five and I'm getting mm-hmm. refills on my soda. Yeah. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, bam, this movie blows up. Now they're trying to stop Judgment Day. Awesome. And that takes it to a whole new level. Before it was good. I mean, it, I told you I liked the action of the first one. I love the action at the beginning of this one. The chase through the, the sewers or gutters or whatever that was. No, Th- that's yeah. the L.A. River. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, that's, that is the L.A. River. And that's where, like, the car races took place in Greece. Or in yes, kind of exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was tremendous action packed. And Arnold was just the epitome of cool with him doing the one-handed gun cocking. And I love that. watching him when he's riding the motorcycle and he, and he uses the shotgun to blow open the, the fence the padlock mm-hmm. off the fence and drive through it at just the perfect time when he's going through the aqueducts. Love that. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a great action movie and it, I, I really do think the scenes in Mexico drag. I really think there's a little too much of Edward Furlong when you want to shine a guy on, you say hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. There's too much of that. But then it took the movie to such a great place with the introduction of Miles Dyson who created Skynet and, and oh. the keeping of the hand and the chip in that secret room. We talked about this in terms Terminator 1, but we kind of spoiled it. In Terminator 1, Kyle Reese became the father of the Resistance. In Terminator 2, we find out the Terminator is really the father of Skynet. Mm-hmm. Yep. All because they were sloppy and didn't destroy everything. Someone had the forethought to say, a hand. I could make money off that. <laughs> I, I don't know. If I see hands lying around, I don't usually think profit. But <laughs> No, but if you find something weird, yeah. you know. I think it was because they were the only thing salvageable out of the thing. I'm sure they would have kept the teeth if the teeth were <laughs> not ground to bit. But yes, the Terminator from the last one had been salvaged by Cyberdyne Systems or sold to Cyberdyne Systems from that weird factory. I have no clue what the fact 
factory was in part one. It was just a loud <laughs> factory with a lot of presses. But mm. whatever owned that weird factory, they sold it to Cyberdyne, and now they are developing Skynet, and it's getting ready to go. Yes. It takes it to another level. I've, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, the first Terminator really felt predetermined. Everything is decided by fate, and we have no control over it. Here, explicitly, Hamilton talks about how we can change the future. When you know what the future is going to be, you have the ability to change it through your actions. And it was really a question of, do they have the ability to do that? Can they stop Judgment Day before it happens? Can they prevent Arnold from ever being? It's fascinating as a paradox. And in defense of the Mexico thing, it is silly, and it does take a, a too long, but I think he needed a breather after all of the action that we had gone through. You can't have an, a movie that's adrenaline for two hours straight. Sure. You need to have some comedy, you need to have some levity, and you need to hit the reset button, and I think that those moments come at just the right time. Now, Stuart, you saw the extended cut of this. I've never seen it. We watched the original for this. What is that extra half hour? Well, yeah, you know, I had no idea what I was renting when I rented it, and uh, it was it's integrated with the movie. It's not cut scenes you watch later. It's like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't remember this, but I knew the, this movie so well that I knew when they were showing me things I hadn't seen before. Well, one of the earliest surprises comes in the incarceration of Linda Hamilton. She has a dream sequence, and Michael Bean appears to her. Reese, the father of her child. He is back. He's brought back looking relatively the same, and it is a pointless scene. It makes sense why they <laughs> cut it. it. There's no other reason to do it other than to say, hey, it's Michael Bean. And he encourages her not to give up and that she can break out. And it leads into a aborted scene of Judgment Day. She walks into that playground and it's just about to explode and then they cut away. So they so they kind of tease it. Yeah, they tease it because when that happens, whoa, what a scene. I remember that just blowing me away. We had never really seen an apocalypse. Nowadays, I feel like every movie shows you the end of the world, but we had never seen an apocalypse like they did in Terminator prior to that. It was just blew my mind. Other things just to hang on longer. Mexico goes on longer. There's a very painfully stupid scene in which Edward Furlong teaches Arnold to smile. And that it just isn't needed. And since he doesn't smile in the later movie, it doesn't even set up for anything. He kind of smiles when he uncovers the guns and picks up that big one in the bunker in Mexico. Mm, that was a sneer. This was, uh-huh. it looks like he's gnashing his teeth. It, <laughs> it had a pose for the governor photos. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Exactly. And then there's a, there's a few scenes of Dyson and his wife and his family. Most of it, they're right to cut it. You didn't need it for that movie. You want that movie lean and moving. Uh, but it was interesting to see it. I would say do not watch the extreme edition for your first time or even your second time. But if you've seen it 20 times, definitely check it out because it's got some interesting little frills. Now, you mentioned the humor a moment ago. I thought the humor of this actually really worked. Just the dry Arnold humor of, like, Edward Furlong, like, you were going to kill him. And, of course, I am a Terminator. I thought that humor really worked. You know, a lot of action humor doesn't. A lot of it leaves you groaning. And here I liked it. The one thing I liked was when he shoots a security guard in the kneecaps, no less. And Edward Furlong gets very upset. And he just goes, hey, live. I like that. But I really didn't like a lot of the humor. It kind of, maybe Edward 
for long just gets on my nerves. Maybe that's He's it. He's bad. Okay. He's so bad. I perhaps that's like why I didn't like the humor. But I, I like that he'll live. And the fact that he told me he didn't have to kill everybody. But You know, Edward Furlong is the weaker link here. He's got the right look. I mean, he's walking around in the public enemy shirt and the, and the haircut. And, and he's got a badass friend, Danny Cooksey, yeah. from Different Strokes. Yeah. I was, <laughs> like, was... where did I see him before? But you're right. Danny Cooksey was the new younger brother when Mr. Yes. Drummond got remarried. Okay. Arnie's but, right. Arnie's right. But, okay. yeah. I know Danny Cooksey from a Nickelodeon show called Salute Your Shorts. Oh, yeah. I, you're right. <laughs> Never saw that show. It's where they're all <laughs> off at camp. <laughs> and so we salute you. Any, what's his name? Danny Cooksey? I'm going okay. on Marjorie. She's yeah. the one who said it. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. The ginger with the mullet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know what? I, I thought Edward furlong was good enough to get through it like i didn't hate him i wasn't like oh but he's not very good and there's a a reason why he didn't go on to to greater fame and it's not just that he got messed up by the hollywood system he just doesn't have star wattage here my thing is watching this movie i was a little bit dreading edward furlong because i've seen him in other stuff like pet cemetery 2 and i just remember hating him so much watching this movie he's not that bad in this movie he he's passable in this movie he does what's needed but you know i completely understand why when they're doing terminator 3 they don't pull him back out yeah mm-hmm. and his voice is just a little shrill he was changing he's going through puberty his voice was changing that's why it's shrill yeah. that's why i don't have so to like it that. just because there's a reason for it, it happened to you okay <laughs> hey, for 10 years old he's developing quite well <laughs> yes exactly you know yeah. it's supposed to be 1996 or whatever 1994 mm. the public enemy shirt the hair the guns and roses yeah, music 1997 we're like who the hell's public enemy flavor what <laughs> yeah well, you're right i keep forgetting that this is supposed to be happening a couple years beyond when the movie was released um it's a perfect time capsule for 91 it is not a particularly representative time capsule for 94 96 whatever it is i believe they're actually even subway in the movie too or the girls are drinking from subway cups no that- pepsi pepsi it made me want to drink a pepsi so bad in this movie pepsi is everywhere there is product placement there for yeah. sure pepsi machines at just the right time and subway at the cop station yeah but hey it was the most expensive movie of all time as we've already noted you got to pay for it somehow and it's a fair compromise to get what we get what'd you guys think of arnold in this movie i thought he came back he's downsized from the previous movie He's yes. the smaller, more compact Arnold Schwarzenegger. Seven years makes a difference. Yes. And, and what's funny is watching the two movies back to back like we did, you really notice it. I think when watching it in 1991, you don't. No. And mm-hmm. also watching them back to back, we noticed they didn't add the face prosthetic. Yes. He has eyebrows in this mm-hmm. movie and he looks like we know Arnold Schwarzenegger to look now. And I think his character, it's supposed to be the same model Terminator. Yes. And it's different. He seems to have different features and capabilities in the other one. Well, what's funny is they seem to have operating system upgrades between every movie just because Mm -hmm. the effects are better. That Terminator vision that, you know, is so iconic. It's much more cool in this one than it was in the last one. And I was really worried when this movie started the first time I saw it that it was going to be stupid because when he comes in and Bad to the Bone is playing. That was over the top. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God. You're right. His introduction is bad. It's actually a stupid scene and you wish they hadn't done it. But... 
puts on the sunglasses, and I think they're trying to call back to the previous movie when he wore them. But in the previous movie, he had a reason to wear sunglasses. Yeah. He was camouflaging a big robotic eye. Here, yeah. it's nighttime, and he's wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Yeah, I liked his introduction past that point where yeah. he met John Connor and the Come With Me If You Want to Live and all oh, of yeah. that. But that bar scene, I thought, was a little bit much. It, it is too much. I really thought it was going to suck when that started. I'm like, oh, God. Right. Yeah. I think I would have been very more forgiving of it if they hadn't used Bad to the Bone. But yeah. when you hear, da 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 I'm like, this is an 80s cliche now. <laughs> a biker bar with that playing, that you can't do that. That's just, no. That's, you know, and then everyone jumps into the pool. You know what I mean? You can't, there's, <laughs> there's some cliches from that decade you can't do again. And that's yeah, one of them. It was just too wannabe cool. One of my least favorite scenes is they are in Mexico and Linda Hamilton is observing that Edward Furlong and Arnold are getting along well. And uh, she starts this very serious monologue about he will never beat him. He'll never leave him, this and that. And then I don't know if it happened at exactly the same time. There's some kids running around with what looks like real guns playing war. And <laughs> oh, she's... that's at the rest stop before they get to Mexico. Yeah. And, and there's this whole dialogue about, are we going to make it? And Arnold's like, no, you guys, it's in your nature to kill each other. I'm like, but you're the ones killing us, Arnold. <laughs> Human race doesn't die out because humans kill each other. They die out because some machines kill them. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's very heavy handed. And you're right. You just don't need it to feel the weight. All you need is that dream sequence of Judgment Day. And you're like, I get the stakes. I get how serious this is. From Terminator 1, Linda Hamilton playing on the playground in the waitress uniform. It just mm. did not work. They put that wig on her. Yeah. And it just did not look like the She old looked like a chipette. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And there were three, just like as short succession as they mm-hmm. did that right in the middle. Like you say, it, it was unnecessary. I liked it at the end where she's like, I go into the future for the first time not knowing. And I liked it at the beginning, mm-hmm. setting everything up. Yeah. But in the middle, they really don't need them. No. They did nothing. Yeah. I think what's interesting about Linda Hamilton's character is it's kind of one note. You know, I mean, all her transformation happens between the movies. When we see her at the beginning of this movie, she's more or less the same until they break into Dyson. And I think that's a really impressive scene is that she becomes the killing machine. She is going to go and kill the man that invents the Terminators and Skynet as a way of preventing the future from happening. And it's such a moral quandary. It's like, you know, sometimes I've heard these games being played in academia of like, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? Would you do a morally reprehensible act to protect what you perceive to be a more reprehensible destiny. It's a great conflict, and it really makes us question Hamilton's judgment at that point. When she is sniping his house, and his kid's there and nearly gets shot, and the wife, and she's busting through the place, you're like, has she gone too far? Is she in the ride anymore? But she was in the mental hospital and incarcerated for trying to blow stuff up. So this kind of fits in with her character, I think, because her mission that she believes is that she must stop Judgment Day at all costs. And you see that in the interactions with the psychiatrist that she deals with, who is, besides Arnold, the only character to be in all three movies. Yeah, that was funny. I didn't remember him at all, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, he he was in the first one in the police station. Mm-hmm. And you see in interactions that it must be stopped at all costs. So I didn't think it was that 
that out of character for her? Oh, it's not out of character. I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been done. It just it makes us as an audience who is with her for the first half of the movie and cheering her on really go, huh, I don't know if this cost is worth it. There must be another way. You don't have to gun a man down in front of his children in his home in order to stop Judgment Day. I think the way she went about it actually didn't make sense because you're gunning the man down, but... His work will continue. Yeah, I think the way that after they got him in on it, blowing up everything was far better. It was far more effective. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot more sense, and it makes for a very exciting scene when they they finally go in there and and rig the place to blow up. And the the arm cutting when he's in the family's house, Mm -hmm. and he's showing his Terminator arm. Mm -hmm. Oh, the kind of... At first, I'm like, oh... And then I'm like, okay, I can watch it now. For some reason, it bothered me. But then having the metal underneath, I'm like, yeah, okay. And then yep. for the rest of the movie, Arnold wore the Luke Skywalker glove. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had I forgot uh, that he cut off his arm. And then I was like, oh, how are they going to justify this? Because I know he's not going to do this, have this robot arm for the rest of the movie. And indeed, they cover it up wisely. Yeah, I, I love that scene where they're in the station, though, in the building blowing everything up. That really it worked. It paid off the breaking into the ATM scene, which by that point in the movie you'd forgotten about. Mm-hmm. It the just, movie does a great job of bringing things back. It introduces so much information in the first half hour, and you're just enjoying it. But they almost everything has a point and really comes back. This The screenplay is very, very tight and very respectful of you paying attention. It, it pays out. And I thought it was nice that the there is enough to tie you back to the first without going overboard because right. a lot of times with these type of movies when there's a big gap between the first and the second they go so overboard with the tongue and chink w- wink wink I remember the first movie that you're just like oh god not again I mean I thought they did a very good job in this movie where I didn't think I was watching the first one but I was able to tie it in and not feel like I was getting ripped off yes and I think they did a really good job updating the technology in this movie to kind of sync with the current times because instead of just ripping a page out of the phone book and killing every single Sarah Connor, Robert Patrick sits down in a police cruiser and looks up John Connor. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really nice way to advance technology. Yeah, because the phone book, watching that today was very quaint. Oh, a phone <laughs> I remember those. When's the last time you touched a phone book, guys? Yeah, they don't have them in LA anymore for the whole LA area. That's But yeah, just able to plug in and see, type up John Connor and go straight to John Connor's house. Smart enough to impersonate a cop, saw his rap sheet, everything. And I thought that was really clever. It took him a little too long to get to the valley, though. I got to say, he he materializes in downtown and what should be at four in the morning or whatever it is, a 40-minute drive at best. It takes him most of the morning to get there and Arnold beats him somehow. Uh, There's my little beef about uh, L.A. geography. It don't make no sense. But I still enjoyed it. Maybe Robert Patrick stopped to get a burger or a coffee on the way. <laughs> subway. I think yeah. he st- spent a lot of time uh, <laughs> exactly. with a Subway breakfast. Now, can I ask a question about Robert Patrick's transformation? He steals the cop's clothes, right? Uh, it's a little unclear to me. He definitely kills the guy. He's naked. And the next scene, he's wearing the clothes. But I don't think he steals the clothes. I think he just touches him and then creates the clothes. Because he's liquid metal. Why would he need to that's wear clothes? True. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Is He can, he changes 
changes clothes all the time as he changes bodies. When he's mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton, he's wearing the flannel. So yeah. why does he need the cop's clothes? I don't think he stripped him. Okay. I don't even know why he needed to kill him other than at that moment, we're suddenly unclear who the good guy is. Because mm-hmm. you're right. It's set up and you're like, oh, Arnold's back. He goes and busts up the biker bar. We we assume that he's the same style of Terminator. And then so this must be the hero. He even kind of looks like Michael Bean. But, ooh, I don't know that I like this guy either. He seems just as scary. And the, and that build up to the mall where Edward Furlong is cornered by both and finds out who's on his side and who's not. It's pretty suspenseful. I mean, we know now. But obviously, at the time, you might have even known at the time because Arnold Schwarzenegger is, you know, uh, was a popular heroic figure at that time. But the movie did not does not reveal its uh, intentions until that moment. Well, and if you notice, they took a lot of it from the first scene where even he's carrying the gun in the box of roses mm-hmm. from the first movie and leads you up until that point and fools you because you're like, oh, my God, that's the same thing he used. He must be the bad one. And you actually feel a little bit of anticipation. And all of a sudden, he's the good one. I knew going into the second one before I ever saw it, he was the good one. And I've never been able to lose that meta knowledge, unfortunately. So I'm glad you guys are able to judge it like that. I I just couldn't do it. It's kind of like, you know, trying to watch Star Wars and not know who Luke Skywalker is. Or who his dad is. Yeah. No, I think the T2 worked, though, also upping the stakes by having the ability to forge metal weapons. I thought that was really cool Mm -hmm. that he could have the big hooks and... All of those worked. You mentioned when we were watching it that you liked that the hooks were square instead of, like, you know, amputee hooks or something. Well, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that they weren't, like, little finger hooks, that he actually forged them into useful hooks to clang onto the back of the car. And I thought it was interesting that there was some foreshadowing that did not pay off. Did you guys catch it? Mm, no. When they're in the cop car and Robert Patrick was with his metal hooks trying to claw his way in and everything and he gets blown up and there's a little piece of the hook on the trunk of the car. Edward mm-hmm. Furlong flicks it off and you think yeah. oh, because you up at that point you saw what he could do by touching people. Mm-hmm. And But he never morphed into Edward Furlong. Oh, huh. And that always bothered me. And I don't know why. It was a well, great red herring. He was trying to kill Edward Furlong. Being Edward Furlong wouldn't really help with that goal. <laughs> Yeah, because he could kill the other two well, that's also. True. That's true. So I th- He did have to change to something of approximately the same size, though, and Edward Furlong was young. I never saw that rule. They said that. No, they said They do oh, say they that. Didn't? Okay. And yeah. he could morph into a floor. He only does that once, but yeah. he becomes a floor, and that was really unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool that they gave him the what I thought was the mindless droid thinking, where as he's morphing through the bars at the mental hospital, and he goes, and his gun gets caught. That's a nice moment. I, I it is. I really liked that. I thought that was kind of like, he's like, huh, what do you know? And it was okay. But I just thought that was really neat that they did that. I think that shows a lot of thought. My favorite one is that they get in the elevator and he sticks it is uh, a sword through the uh, elevator doors. And then it turns into the pliers and, and tries to pull it apart. I just mm-hmm. thought that was awesome. Yeah. That was great. I actually really loved how they used this to its fullest during the fist fight between the two Terminators. Yes. Arnold throws him face first into a wall. And so he just morphs so that he's now face back to the yeah, wall. Yeah, that know? was cool. And the in that fight, Arnold punches him in the head, and so the head becomes the hands. It was really mm-hmm. used to its fullest. And I applaud them for doing that in 91, because you think that that's something that somebody would see Terminator 2, and then later say, well, we should yes. have done that. 
to do it all right there the first time was really forward thinking. It really was. One of the metal shifty things that he does at the end when Arnold puts the the bomb bullet. Well, I, I don't know my weapons very well. What <laughs> what does he shoot in the guy that makes him blow up? I, I think they're big actually uh, grenades, aren't they, or something like that? I am not I'm up losing on my guy credit. Yeah. I, I, I have to check I my guns and ammo subscription. Yeah. I canceled Soldier of Fortune when I met you, Arnie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I thought that was, you know, I mentioned in the past one a nod to John Carpenter, how much the first one is indebted to John Carpenter. That felt a little thing to me. He uh, has all the heads kind of sticking all over the place and is making these thing noises. If you remember the thing remake, um, yeah, there's a part the where it kind of does that. Yeah, and it screeches in that way. I thought that was a little nod back to Carpenter again. Because really, there's no he's not feeling pain. He's liquid metal. It doesn't matter that there's something went off in a whim. It's just uh, a temporary situation. You know, and as inventive as this movie was, as far as plot devices, because I, I thought it was great, is the plot is really good. And I thought that the effects were great. Everything. The one thing that bothers me at the end, it has the classic good guy versus bad guy fight, where the bad guy gets the good guy down, and you think he's dead, and then lo and behold, he hops up on his last legs or stumps or whatever and saves the day. That yeah. bothered me, because they I- could have done something more inventive. Obviously, these people are very creative. You know what, though? I liked it, because when they're there, and Arnold comes up on that conveyor belt, yeah. and it's in slow-mo, I thought that was effective. His re-entrance was very powerful. I, I agree, the re-entrance was powerful, but ha- I think that, that p- up until that point, it was very typical Western, or bad guy versus good guy, or horror movie, whatever, because they all use it, but I think they could have been more inventive. Well, I it is a question of, do you want to see Lyndall Hamilton take down the T-1000? Do you want to see Edward Furlong take it down? Or Arnold? And it really comes a question of whose movies is this? And I think we all know, it's Arnold's movie. Yeah, it was clearly his movie, and that's fine. I just thought it was kind of a weak way to do it. Well, they could have been more fun with it, but it wouldn't have delivered the Arnold vibe that people really wanted. I mean, this is, let's face it, this is as good as Arnold ever got in the movies. And the one thing that got me was at that point in the movie, I'm thinking they can't kill this thing. When I first saw it, when he freezes and he shatters, I'm like, well, they got him. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was the end. I was like, ah, Mm -hmm. that's how you fix it. And then he warms up and and, and all those cool little puddles coming together. And I was like, oh. And that was yet another thing that was foreshadowed earlier with the little hand that yeah, little hook. mentioned mm-hmm. coming back. The fact that he can reform was yep. already set up. But I really thought it was over. And I'm like, well, all right, you can't blow him up. You can't shoot him. You can't shatter him into a million pieces. How do you kill this thing? And then, of course, lava. But <laughs> Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was really thinking up until that point, oh, my God, they're never going to kill this guy. And then they're going to have a sequel. And what little did I know? But at the time, but yeah, I really you have a lot of apprehension built up because you think they can't kill him. Well, let me ask you something because something uh, in, in the edition that I saw, I think it's just the extreme cut, uh, showed that he wasn't quite right after he uh, warmed up again. And I don't remember that from the original movie. No, that but wasn't in the movie. When he walks around in the climax of the film, he keeps sticking to things. Like he'll put his arm on a rail that's striped and all of a sudden half of him is striped. And um, no. the reason the reason why this there's Linda Hamilton, he takes the shape of Linda Hamilton and is coming towards Edward Furlong and he's about to get Edward Furlong and Edward Furlong looks down and sees that Linda Hamilton's feet are actually part of the grid and that's how, actually how he knows that it's not his mom. No. That would have been much better because yeah. then that would have explained why he was having Linda Hamilton call 
called it Edward for yeah. long yeah. is because he's messed up. Yeah. That, that totally should have been in the movie. That totally would have fit. Yeah. Yeah. And in the movie we saw, he realized it's not his mom when the mom shows up behind her. Yeah. Mm. Right. Exactly. Uh, and that's still there. I mean, all of that is still there from the original movie. But I'm like, I don't remember these effects. And I don't know whether they went back much later because they couldn't do the effects or they couldn't afford to do more effects or they ran out of time. I'm not sure what. But I'm. it's just a few digital effects. But it does make a difference. And I thought it was interesting to know that there was ramifications for that liquid nitrogen falling on him. That it that wasn't just like, oh, I'll warm up again and I'll be fine. There. Now there I want to see what he saw. Can we get that one, Arnie? <laughs> I think I may actually own it. Yeah, I want to see that because that sounds like that whole scene right there would pay off and be one of mm-hmm. the usually director's cuts or extended editions are pretty much, I like to call it visual masturbation for the director because mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, this is what I wanted to include. I'm an artist and it's yeah. usually crap. Most of the stuff that's in there was, should have been cut but that I felt like was pretty important. It changes things. It recolors the scenes. You've blown my mind. I mean, seriously. I Yeah, that and it fixes yeah. the plot hole I had. You've totally mm-hmm. blown my mind. And I hadn't thought about amazing. that way, but you're right. It does fix the plot hole to a degree. I still say he could He could have, I don't know. Yeah, I had one question about this movie that perhaps you guys can answer. Maybe I missed something or just have it all in my head for 17 years this way. But how does Edward Furlong's character know what the old Terminator looks like? I know there's a pictures from the police station and everything and the security cameras that they keep showing to Linda Hamilton. But as I recall, she did not have a camera in Terminator 1 that she no. was using to take photos of the Terminator. Now, I could describe, hey, it's this big guy. He has an Austrian accent. Um, <laughs> he looks like Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. I said that. I said, he looks like that guy who starred in Predator. Yeah. How does he know what the Terminator looks like? He, he does not know, but I think I think that you know when, when, a, when a big motorcycle dude in sunglasses and a shotgun is coming at you. But it's... It's L.A. I see this stuff on the news all the time. Come on. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know that he really, really knew. He didn't recognize him. She did, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was a She has a very visceral too. reaction when he comes out of the elevator. And, yeah. and she, uh, it's that actually was, a very effective scene. But. It was. It was fantastic. You're right. But I just always wondered, how does he know what he looks like? I imagine it was all over the news, but he was a cell. Now, if you did not know who Arnold Schwarzenegger was, you would not have noticed that it was the same guy because he looks so different in one versus two with that no eyebrow thing. Yeah, yeah, he does. I think that they did. That part of the reason why they didn't want to bring that back was they wanted this to be a charming Arnold. I mean, he mm-hmm. is a star at this point, and you know, you do like him. You know, there was no way to make a Terminator sequel in which Arnold was still the killing machine. That would not have played. No. It would not have made sense. And I think it kind of fit in with what he'd been doing because if you look, he was kind of a hardcore cop, and I'm going to bring this up. It was kindergarten cop. <laughs> He makes the transformation and, you know, softens with the kids and everything. Let's not forget Mm. Twins. Yeah, Twins was his first comedy, but Kindergarten Cop really acknowledged how much appeal he had to young children. Yeah, and you don't want, like, I guess, Spongebob turning into a a murderous rampage. You can't do it. You can't do it. And I think he'd cross that line. I'd like to see that. (laughs) One question I had, and I had it when I first saw it in 1991, and I still hold this question, is at the end of the movie, why kill Arnold? Other than just... Just to have a tragic ending. Uh, duh, he is a Terminator, and what if someone finds out and takes the technology? Well, he's uh, a Terminator. He could then kill those people. 
What? Listen, if they kill him, no, he can't kill anyone anymore. He was yeah. instructed not to. Well, you could you could then instruct him to kill again. He, it's too dangerous to have him exist. Well, I guess my problem. Do you is- not like the tearjerker ending? I like the fact that Arnold didn't cry because I was afraid when I first saw the movie we were going to watch him cry, and I was like, I I don't think I can watch this. No, and he. In- I, I'm glad he didn't cry, and I thought the thumbs up as he went into the lava was just as cheesy as the bad to the bone. That was cheesy. It was. It should have been cut out. But my thing is obviously Skynet's going to keep sending things back in time. Why not keep them around so that you could have a two-on-one situation? You know, but so you'd be changing. They the really, really, really believed, as I did, as everyone did, the future had been permanently changed, and Judgment Day was over. Yeah, I never dreamed that there'd be another Terminator movie. Well, I knew there would be because of the profits, <laughs> and I got to say this. I remember at the time, everyone pointing out to me that his arm is still left in the thing when it got cut off. Uh, the, the T-1000 ends up oh. grinding the arm off with a gear shaft, and everyone's like, they still left the arm. Oh. So that's how they're going to bring him back. Damn, and it, I hadn't even it thought about It is not that. how they bring him back in Terminator 3. This is What's great. Funny. You guys are making me watch my favorite movie in a whole new light. What's funny is when I first saw this, I see him get his arm crushed. I'm like, well, it's a good thing they got a spare arm so that at the end of the movie, he can be whole again. <laughs> and then they melt him. I'm like, wait, that's not what I expected. No, wait. Oh, but yeah. Hmm. No, but if you think about it, sitting in that gear yeah. is still the severed Arnold arm, which would make you think that they could still develop that into a Terminator technology. Well, I had thought that they said most of the technology came from the damaged CPU, not the arm. It did. I mean, yeah, most of it did come from that, and I think it would be hard to replicate. Well, we can talk about all of that when we talk about Terminator 3. I definitely got a lot of questions about Terminator 3 and and how Skynet uh, continued to exist. Well, and one thing that I'm going to talk about when we do T3, but I'll say it here to T the listeners, both in Aliens and in Terminator 2, James Cameron gives the happy ending. Mm-hmm. There's the mother and the child, and they're going off to a bright future because evil has been vanquished. And then, be it whoever directed Terminator 3 or David Fincher, they come and shit on his happy ending. Yes. Hmm, interesting. I'm not as familiar with the Alien series as you guys, so. In the last podcast, we talked about how the music was very synth. Here, they bring back that music, but damn, does it work better when you have the orchestra. It is phenomenal. It's got a lot of bass. It's got the drums. And much like the opening theme of Star Wars, when I watch Terminator 2, when I hear that, I get the chills. What's funny is, Marjorie, you drive a big black Hummer. I do. Arnold would be proud. Yeah. And every time the garage door goes up and I see your Hummer there, it's that music that comes through my mind. What a... I love that music. It's iconic. It's spooky. It's eerie. It's futuristic. And it goes back to what I said in the last podcast that I don't think movies today have soundtracks that stir emotions and feelings like that. I think they have soundtracks, but they don't have theme songs. Theme songs. You know what I mean? Like you hear 10 bars of that and you know it's Terminator. Yeah. What I I like about it is it's haunting too. It's it's bombastic. You know there's going to be explosions, but like the movie itself, it has deeper overtones. When it starts getting into the actual melody, it's more haunting like Judgment Day. Yeah, it's very eerie. Yeah, because Judgment Day scared the crap out of me, and like I said in the last podcast, I did observe Judgment Day in the late (laughs) 90s. So perhaps I am the sci-fi geek, but I think we also need to talk about the Terminator 2 show at Disney World. That was some great 3D. It's the same 3D you now get in movie theaters. Yeah. I hate to interrupt because I don't think, um, I haven't ridden on it, but I think isn't that universal 
Oh, it is Universal. I'm okay, sorry. It's Universal Studios. I it's just, in Orlando. I, I don't want to get sued. Disney is very, <laughs> very yeah. protective about what it owns. Yeah, they yes. have Star um, Tours. Uh, Universal yeah. right. has the Terminator ride. But yeah. it's it's not really a ride. It's it's a show, as a lot of things at Universal are. It's kind of an experience. And it's really cool because they load you into this big queue, and you're kind of standing there. You're hot, and you're kind of crabby and everything. And you're listening to the Terminator music for Over and over and over <laughs> again. But they have a little pre-show show where they have some actors who obviously not Linda Hamilton and Edward Furlong coming out in the skywalks overhead and swinging on ropes and dressed in the camo and everything. But they have film footage yes. of Linda Hamilton so it's supposed to be. It kind of ties in because they have like these big screens everywhere and it ties in and they come in and do like a little mm-hmm. skit like they're escaping. Well and when you go you're not supposed to be going to see a show you're going to see. You're touring latest, Cyberdyne. Yeah you're touring Cyberdyne and seeing a computer demonstration of the latest system and then the T1 million shows up. They also have this instructional audio playing over the music when you're waiting in line to tour Cyberdyne that talks about how when you go through the metal detector or the scanning device that there could be some anal itching. Remember <laughs> that? Yeah. Yes. They have this, there's a little recorded voice that comes on this lady talking in an almost British accent talking about safety procedures and you must wear these glasses and you must go through this. Yeah, because the 3D glasses are safety goggles. Yes. And you you have to be scanned and they talk about the after effects of the scanning and how you may experience it at any point some muscle weakness or some anal itching but it's perfectly normal and you get into the theater and you sit down and I think they do a fantastic job with it because it starts out as a little stage show showing some neat technology and you're wearing the glasses and there's some explosions and the characters running on stage and then the 3D Terminators are all over and it's really cool and they Ah. use misted water as part of the effects too so when they Mm -hmm. blow stuff up it like just this fine mist comes on you and you really are having this really cool experience yeah they combine 3d film with live action and they got arnold and hamilton and furlong back i wonder how they got furlong but (laughs) (laughs) hamilton's not doing anything either yeah, it was fine. And we saw it once. I never felt the need to see it a second No, time. but it was a cool experience. I mean, mm-hmm. the 3D is good. And there are like Terminators right next to you with the 3D glasses on. My problem with all of these theme park things is they try to always take it to over the top. And again, the T1 million. Mm-hmm. It's like you couldn't just go 100,000 or the T10,000. It's the T1 million. They always have to. It's like they aim it at the five-year-olds. One million well, is big. They there are five-year-olds in the audience. I mean, that's the thing is that even though these are R-rated movies, this ride is designed for families. Hey, I, I ain't gonna complain. They got my $10 when I was walking through the gift store at the end and bought my Terminator coffee cup that was the Terminator skull. So, mm. sold it at the last garage sale for a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but the memories are timeless. That's the story of his life. Yes, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to finish this up, Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Absolutely. It's great as a standalone movie. It's great as part of the Terminator trilogy or whatever it ends up being. I don't know how many movies they're making, but I think it's fantastic. It's got a lot of action. It's got just a little bit of humor. I think it goes a little too much at some points, but I think it's really worth seeing. If you've never seen it, what the hell's wrong with you? I agree. I don't, I, I don't think we're even get, recording a podcast to someone that's on the fence of like, I don't know, should I rent it? I mean, yeah. we all saw it. We all saw it. We all saw it 
twice at least. And it's 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 that kind of movie that just makes a permanent impression in the world. I mean, it's changed special effects. It changed Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the reason why we have him as a governor. <laughs> I mean, there is so much here that is history changing. You know, the movie is about changing destiny and history. Well, this movie did it. Cameron did it in this film, and it is impressive as an entertainment, as a work of uh, technical achievement. It's 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 a landmark. I do agree that before this movie, Arnold was a star. After this movie, Arnold was a superstar. Yes. This this took him to a whole nother level. But I don't think you're entirely right because, you know, the movies that came out when we were teenagers, kids who are teenagers today, they came out before they were born. And just like my parents probably assumed everybody had seen The Godfather. I didn't see it till I was in my late 20s. You know, I've still never seen it. So wow. there I think the younger generation who is the podcast listening group as well, this may push them to adding it to their Netflix queue. Well, I hope they go on the message boards and let us know whether uh, they uh, have seen it before or not. I think they have. I'm going to predict right now, everybody, everybody has seen this movie. I think it's a recent enough movie that even people who are teenagers would have seen yes. it. I mean, it's yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's one of the biggest stars we have, and he's yeah. a governor. He's married yeah. to Maria And my father Shriver. would have said, he's Al Pacino. He's one of the biggest stars we have. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Most people have I've seen The Godfather. I don't know. Okay, well, I, I haven't seen... I didn't see E.T. until I was in my 20s. All right. Well, these are all different podcasts, and who knows, maybe we'll do a Godfather podcast and solve this problem, Marjorie. I'm never watching <laughs> Godfather 3 again. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a tough one, but oddly enough, it's the one I've seen the most, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I also recommend Terminator 2. Could not recommend it higher. I, I, It's just such a good duology, these two movies. I can't even say which one I like better. They're just both so good, and really, they hold up so well. I think that, yeah, it is required viewing. Yeah, you know, this movie could have been made last week. I mean, that's it holds up that well. You're right. Well, Stuart, Marjorie, thank you for joining me to talk about Terminator 2. And remember, you can listen to our previous issue where we discussed Terminator or our older podcast series where we went through all of the Friday the 13th movies and all of the Star Trek movies. You can find it all at nowplayingpodcast.com and let us know what you think. Drop an email to show at nowplayingpodcast.com or come to our forum. And Marjorie and Stewart, thank you again. Great being here. Glad to be liking the movies because that (laughs) hasn't always been the case. (laughs) And we'll be back to discuss Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at the Terminator movie series. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and is not affiliated with the Halcyon Company or Warner Brothers Pictures. The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Be sure to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to listen to new installments of our Terminator retrospective, culminating in a weekend of release review of Terminator Salvation, opening May 21st. Until next time, hasta la vista, baby.
the other iconic thing about this movie, which it really played into the mass market Arnie, because he immediately went out and bought a pair of sunglasses. That was Terminator 2. Was it? Yeah, I was going to say that for the next show. <laughs> he did. That's right. No, I, just, no, I no, just bought them again. He just bought them again. What? What? We were watching Terminator Jesus 2 Christ. when he puts on the sunglasses, and I go, I had those sunglasses in high school. I wonder if I could get them now. Type, 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 eBay. Type, 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 type. <laughs> Buy it now, and they should be here this week. Yeah. <laughs> the same exact sunglasses I wore in high school. This is my life. Uh, Arnie. Yeah, well, I was just, I, I needed a new pair of sunglasses. I remembered having this pair in high school because I was involved in a game of Assassin with water guns. Yes. And I bought them off my friend for 20 bucks because they were his. And it was, uh, Terminator 2 was out on DV or VHS at this point, but I bought his sunglasses. And in the game of Assassin, I was determined to win and called myself the Liquidator because it was water guns and wore those glasses ever. Well, now mm. I have them coming again. And I'm so excited. <laughs> You said Willis. I started thinking about uh, what you talk about, Willis. I didn't think Bruce Willis. I was thinking. <laughs> well, uh, there was a time when yeah, he was considered what? an action star. I've never I'm not heard anyone refer to him as just Willis. That's <laughs> no, kind of funny. Either, it's always thinking, Bruce Willis. Really? I mean, you can say Schwarzenegger <laughs> and not a problem. Arnold and Willis, it is like different strokes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, Willis. I had the same thought. I'm like, Willis. Who the hell is Willis? Different strokes. You know, and Dana Plato. Those are the real action heroes. <laughs> 